So today is the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas uh, is well known for writing the Summa Theologica. If you've ever been to a, a library, a theological library, and you see the Summa Theologica, which by the way means a summary, summary, summary of theology, and it's about yay long, oh, volume, so many volumes, and it's actually not finished. He died before he actually finished it. Summary. Yeah, that's more than I know about everything. <laughs> Right, that's just a summary of theology. Uh, just, it's 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 a very very impressive work. Obviously, he was he was a, a key figure in formalizing scholastic theology. So he was born in, in about 1225, 1226 uh, in Lazio, and educated by Benedictines from the age of five. And they recognized right from a very, this very tender age that he had a very acute mind, a very sharp mind, uh, very very bright, but also matched that with with virtue. So it wasn't just he was smart. Because often we can look at saints like Thomas Aquinas and go, well, he's super smart, I'm not, so it doesn't have anything to do with, with me, really. Very nice that he was smart, but it's got nothing to do with my life. But he matched his brains with, with, uh, with virtue. So, very, very virtuous young man. Now, the Dominican order had been founded only a couple of decades beforehand. Like, so the Dominican order, like, very, so well established now, was, was in its infancy. So uh, he heard about them. He was introduced to one of them. And this is what he wanted to do with his life. He wanted to be a Dominican. He wanted to enter the order of preachers. His family were less than happy with this. Uh, they didn't want him to enter uh, this, this new order at all. And so his brothers captured him, locked him in a tower at home. You know the way everyone has a tower. Okay, but his family did. So they locked him in a tower and uh, until he would... Uh, he was there for months, I think maybe even a year. I, don't, I read this morning, I don't know how long exactly it was, but I remember reading elsewhere. It was quite some time, and it wasn't a week. Okay, It was, it was uh, something around a year. They locked him in this tower. And in order to break his resolve, in order to change his mind, in order to maybe seduce him to the ways of the world, they brought in a prostitute and let her into the room and then locked the door behind her. So St. Thomas did what, well, what anyone would do, really. Just took a hot poker out of the fire and threatened her with it, you know. Uh, so then she came out of the room screaming. Uh, so that's uh, that's that's that was it. And this is very interesting and very appropriate also to today's reading because here we have we've Saint Thomas who defends purity and chastity in this somewhat somewhat violent way. As in, sometimes you have to kind of sometimes you have to declare war on a sin without hurting anybody. You have to actually declare war on sin within yourself, and the battle is with you. We have to declare war on it. You have to kind of define the lines of what's what's within the bounds of virtue and what isn't, and what isn't has to be has to be fought with. I remember a priest, a friend of mine, saying, "Look, he was struggling at, uh, with looking at, at um, too much internet." And so he, he got his laptop and he just horsed it against the wall, <laughs> right? And, said, and I remember one of my other priest brothers saying, "You just could have given it to me." But, uh, but like, the idea is like you know sometimes you have to do battle with something. Right? This is wrong. Then just uh, rather than ah, we should, we'll see how it goes. Sure, look, it'll be grand. Sure, we'll pray a bit and see. You know what I mean? Sometimes it'll be really, really clear in this battle for virtue. As Saint as Saint Thomas Aquinas was. Now he goes on then to Cologne. Uh, he studies there. He meets Albert the Great, Alberto Magno. Learns a lot from him. Albert the Great was just, he just knew lots about practically everything, about science in general. He just knew 
He was a very, very well-informed man, uh, which uh, inspired St. Thomas even further. And then St. Thomas goes on to teach in Cologne, and then also goes to Paris. While there, he was offered uh, to become a, an archbishop, which he duly declined, because he said, I don't need any church honours, I don't need any more responsibility, I will teach and I will continue doing what I'm doing. So he wasn't in, in this for the glory at all. Uh, while he was in Cologne, actually, uh, and maybe this is just, I don't know, German sense of humour, but he, he, was, he was quite rotund, rotund. He was quite well, substantial, a substantial young man. And so they called him Dumb Ox, because he was kind of quiet as well. He was kind of one of those kind of people who just kind of sits there and takes it all in. What they didn't realise is that he was taking it all in and categorising it and defining it and sub-defining it. And very so typical of, of, of St Thomas, always defining his terms. He was taking everything in, but from the outside, from the outside he looked, I was going to say normal, but actually less than normal, in the sense that from the outside he looks like a fool. Like they had no idea this guy's mind was so sharp, so acute. When you read his writings, like it's incredible because he starts off, he always defines his terms. So what do we mean by being? What do we mean by nature? What do we mean by substance? What do we mean by accident? All defined. And then you go on and use those terms in your arguments. But you also have to refer back to what his, the definitions are. So you have to hold all these definitions in your head when you're reading a paragraph. He's just, just incredible, incredible mind. Um, and, and hugely important to the church over the next uh, couple of centuries, even to our own day, in, in giving us clarity as regards what we believe. This stuff isn't make-believe, and it's not made up, and it's not up for grabs that we can define everything any way we want. What, like we're trying to understand divine things here, so we have to be careful. If we get them wrong, we can get them very wrong, and then we can end up believing in things that aren't true. So we need to have kind of solid, uh, also reasonable uh, beliefs in the church. And St. Thomas uh, is, is one, of the, one of the rocks on which contemporary theology is built. Okay. In contrast to him, we have King David, who's... And it's very interesting how, how this is written, okay? At the, at the turn of the year, at the time when kings go campaigning, so at the time when kings are supposed to be out there busy, fighting their battles and doing all of that, David was walking on his roof. So at the time when he should have been busy doing something... He was taking it easy. He had as such let his own guard down. There he is walking on his roof and he sees this, this lady bathing. Now, um, as we probably have said before here, seeing a pretty person, seeing someone who's, you know, pretty or handsome isn't a sin. Seeing them bathing, uh, that's a problem. Okay, because, you know, it can happen. You walk along and there's someone handsome or pretty in the room. It happens, right? It's life. Uh, we also have to be careful to understand that, that beauty, beauty doesn't imply the seduction. You know, a person can be, like you see a beautiful child, there's nothing sexual about it. It's a beautiful child, just a little child, little cute little face on him. Or like a, a, maybe, your, your, maybe your granny, right, has this beautiful kind of somewhat toothless smile. But like it's, but it's, 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 it's you know, it's beautiful to be with her like, she's just a wonderful person, okay. Uh, so but this has nothing to do with sexuality. So, so beauty and this kind of seductive element that, that has been introduced to it today, that's not how beauty works in God's mind. God himself is the author of beauty. In creation, when things are beautiful, like they're, 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 this beauty is supposed to remind us of God. The beauty also in people, beauty also in attractive people, is supposed to remind us of God. It's not, it's not there. Beauty hasn't been created to tempt us, to seduce us. 
but to bring us back to God and to remind us of God. So beauty is a good thing. In today's world, though, beauty is, is seen basically as, as a way towards seduction and intimacy and all that kind of thing. Uh, so we've, we've, we've misguided, we've misunderstood what beauty is for in fashion in general. Like, is, is fashion there to enhance the manliness of a man and the femininity of a woman, or is it there to make people look seductive? Because they're, they're, they're very different things. Okay, so with that kind of explained more or less, David sees a beautiful person. Now, obviously, if she's bathing, that's when you go, okay, <laughs> and you look away. Uh, he chooses not to. He chooses to get his deck chair and his popcorn and just watch her bathing. It's a really stupid idea, because what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> right, so he gets seduced by her. Well, she wasn't even, actually, well, one could argue, was she trying to? Why would you, some, why would you bathe, wash on a, on a roof? get a room, get a curtain, I don't know, but like that's just not wise, but that aside, he sends for her, sleeps with her, and gets her pregnant. Realises that uh, this isn't good because she's married, so then calls for uh, her husband to come home, uh, Uriah. So Uriah, the Hittite, uh, he tries to get him drunk and then send him home to his wife. There you go, now here you are, here you are back from the battle, you must be tired, you must be, have seen awful things out on the battlefield, go home now to your wife, all is good, right? And he says, how can I go home to my wife when my brothers are out there dying on the battlefield? I shall not. And so he sleeps outside the, 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 the gates of, of the palace, but doesn't go home to his wife. He need, see, David needs Uriah to go home to his wife, to sleep with her, to cover his tracks, because she's not pregnant, so you get how the biology works. Okay. Um, so, so, yeah, he doesn't do it. And so then David sets up to actually have him killed. So he tells his commander, send Uriah into the thick of the fighting, and then drop back. And he says it so clearly, drop back. Uh, then fall back behind him so that he may be struck down and die. All right, so the command is really clear. He's not, David isn't being in any way kind of ambiguous about this. Send him to where the fighting is the worst and then drop back that he may die. That was the command. So we see how, how this whole kind of beauty and seduction thing, how, how it has absolutely ruined him, how it has now led him to be a murderer, to arrange for someone's murder, you know, to a, such order, a hit on, on, on this man. So, so something that ordinarily should be just beautiful, a beautiful woman, okay, has now led him into all sorts of sin. Compare that to St. Thomas Aquinas, who, when he's exposed to uh, uh, a prostitute, reacts with clarity and with decisiveness and with a roasting hot poker uh, in order to protect his own purity. So we see two of them are exposed to, to a temptation and they react completely differently. One goes on to preserve his virtue, one goes on to make a right mess of things altogether. So, so this is how it works, this is how real life works. We have real life decisions every single day, real life temptations every single day. And, and they're difficult, and they're challenging, and, and they don't stop, nor will they, until we're six foot under. Tem temptations and challenges to our virtue will continue every single day, but I, I think it's always good to see these as opportunities, rather than us kind of walking through this kind of valley of darkness, waiting for the next booty man to jump out in front of us and scare us. We have opportunities every day to practice virtue. We have opportunities every day to grow. We have opportunities every day to, to deepen our purity, our 
our humility, our self-control, our piety, whatever it may be. Every single day we're afforded opportunities. And that way we don't go through life afraid and kind of bracing ourselves for the next impact. But we go through ourselves confident that the Lord walks with us and walks and has given us every grace that we need, we need within us to affront every temptation as they come with him. And so, Lord, we pray for, for that grace today to recognize the opportunities today to grow in knowledge and love of you, that we might walk with you every day and become the saints you're calling us to be. Amen.